Hey everyone! So today it's time to continue our language explorations and as you can see we are going to jump to another continent and we're going to look at some American languages specifically at Mesoamerica. I initially had thought about looking at both North Meso and South America just to kind of get a feel for what language families there are and how they're distributed but turns out there are a lot of them and it's a bit too much even for um, even for a little overview so instead we're going to focus on this area here We have Mexico, Belize, Guatemala, here's El Salvador and Honduras. Of course here in the north we have the border between Mexico and the US following the Rio Grande but as we're talking about the languages and language families in this area we are going to continue a little further north as these borders do not necessarily correspond to historical borders or historical areas where people with the same language are settled. What's interesting about this area and great for looking at it sort of in one go is that even though we have a lot of different language families that are not related, we do have something called a Sprachenbund, which you might remember from a previous video. It means that you have speakers of different languages who lived in close proximity with a lot of contact over a very long time, leading to a number of similar structures developing across the languages. So even though they're not genetically related, they have different origins, they do show some similarities. And that's the Mesoamerican linguistic area. I think we've also briefly looked at this page before. Well, you can see that Mesoamerica was part of New Spain after the Spanish conquest. But today we want to go a little further back and look at the area before the conquest. And you already see here the two most dominant languages, Aztec and Maya, which for a time were the lingua franca of the respective areas. So a lot of people knew how to speak these languages. 
but I think we want a little more detail than what we get here. So let's switch to a different book. This historical atlas we have a little more information so here we see indigenous language families and cultural zones or areas in pre-colonial times and you can already see here there's a huge number of language families all colors of the rainbow, basically we want to have a look, basically add the different shades of green all the way up here across California and further north right here the thing is this might imply that these languages are closely related but I've already mentioned Sprachbund. so the light green here of Maya is not related actually with Zapotec even though it's I think it's the same shade which is of a different family it's also not related to the what is this, a mint green of the Yutu Aztecan family but it still makes sense to sort of distinguish them here from the yellows, orange, red, or the blues from further north so we've had a lot of historic contact here but if we go further north or east we have different cultural regions with their own connections We also have two maps here that allow us to have a look into the past. We know that the area has had human settlement for about 10,000 years, but we can't trace the languages all the way back, so there definitely are some languages that we don't know anything about. But about 5,000 years ago, some of these languages already turned up in the region. Proto-Mayan was here, which we can see here across Yucatan and further south to the coast of the Pacific Ocean we have the Olmec Empire one of the first cultures that really became dominant in the region and we have an idea of what language they spoke it was probably proto mihisokian 
So again, this is a reconstructed language, proto. But we can guess that that's the case because at the time, that was about 4,000 years ago, a lot of loan words from agricultural areas and religion started spreading in the region. And they're from the Mihisokian language family. So it only makes sense that the people with a lot of influence at the time spoke that language. And we also know that Proto-Otomangian was spoken at the time. In this region here around Monte Alban. So here the Zapotekenreich. 1400 before the common era to 800. And this was one of the first major cities in the region. Right here, you can still visit the ruins of the pyramids. That is the classical period, then from about 200 to 1000. And that's also when the city here became really important, Teotihuacan. It's unclear what language they spoke, but we know that the city started to decline around 600. And from that point on, which was a bit of a wild time, lots of migration, a lot of turmoil, the utu Aztecan language just started moving in from the north. So they were not present yet. But then here, if we switch over to this map, we can see here the Aztecenreich, the Empire of the Aztecs. Centered here around Tenochtitlan. And then spreading outwards. Once. And the second time. If we look over to the Maya states, we can see here that they had started to split. So before we have one large area where Maya languages were spoken. But at this point we have a northern group. One here at the center and then a southern group. So this is not a continuous area anymore. Nonetheless, like I said, Maya and Nahuatl, the language of the Aztec Empire, were the two languages with the highest prestige that were still spoken by the greatest number of people and would become important after the conquest as well. I'm not entirely sure how many languages there are today in this area. It depends on basically what source you look at. I've seen six major families plus a number of language isolates. And then when you look at the language families, you can divide them further and further and further and it's just difficult to really draw an exact line. 
back then Maya had a script but for example the Aztecs didn't have the same kind of script so it wasn't fully developed and especially when you have a language that is predominantly spoken and not written you don't have one standard version usually what happens is that if you move one city over people are going to speak a little differently but you can still understand them and then you move another city over and they're going to speak a little differently again so maybe these two can understand each other but these two are starting to have difficulties and then you're moving a little further and this chain continues so it's a very gradual change and not a clear cut meaning you have a dialect continuum and that makes it very difficult to say okay this is a language this is a dialect often what you will find is a classification that talks of varieties so for example you will have a number of varieties of Nahuatl they all are Nahuatl but they sound differently and they function a little differently one issue you might also find is that the names differ especially with the Maya languages if you ask someone what language they speak they might just say well Maya of course but let's say they're up here and then you move over here it sounds very very differently but if you ask them they might as well say well Maya of course so if you're a linguist you need to find a way to distinguish between these different versions so you might often find different terms for these varieties or languages sometimes they may just add a geographical distinction or sometimes you will find completely different terms so a little side note okay let's have a look at an even more uh, detailed map so i think this Metzler Lexikonsprache is still the best source if you want to look up anything with regards to languages and you can see here that they are really nicely distinguished and here we have the main language families let's start with the Maya languages so they're located here in Yucatan but the largest number of speakers is in Guatemala where about 50% of the population speak a Maya language and Guatemala recognizes 21 different languages within that family Mexico additionally recognizes 8 different ones in the region where they're spoken and altogether there are about 6 million speakers the good thing is also that there is a relatively high percentage of monolingual speakers now normally of course it's good if you know multiple languages 
in the case of smaller languages, indigenous languages that are under a lot of pressure from the dominant language in the region. It is, however, a good sign when people still grow up with only that one language. And it's also the language of education, of work, etc., etc. So the one language that allows them to go through life and do everything that needs to be done using only this one. The interesting thing about Maya is also that it is the one language here that has developed a fully functioning writing system. You can find forms of writing, for example, with the to Aztec languages as well. But with Maya, it really is fully functioning, meaning you can write anything you want. There's nothing in a language that can't be expressed through writing. However, they didn't use an alphabet like we use, but rather they used glyphs that were used for usually syllables, or sometimes had a meaning in themselves. So it's a little similar to Japanese, but again, something completely different. This here developed completely independently from any other writing system in the world. It was written in two columns and always went from top to bottom and left to right. So they would write like this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We can have a look at an example of that, if you'd like. So, here it's called Yucatanische Schriftzeichen, again. This is a little out of date, but Yucatan, we know well it is in Mexico. And you can see here there are some glyphs that correspond to letters, but it's more common that they would correspond to syllables or short words like this. I love how they look like little faces. There's some hair, the eyes, and a surprised mouth. This one is like a little fish. Here's another one with a long nose. And this one has some neat makeup. Unfortunately, Maya hasn't been fully deciphered. The knowledge of the writing system got lost after the Spanish conquest. You might find um, some sources speaking of a Mayan alphabet, but that wasn't actually developed by the Mayans themselves. 
It's called the Delanda alphabet. It's from a Spanish priest who tried to find a correspondence between Spanish and Maya. It's full of inaccuracies, but it later helped to decipher the actual writing system. And ironically, Delanda is also the same priest who ordered the original documents featuring Mayan scripts to be destroyed. Which is quite sad. If we turn it over, we have some Mexican symbols here. So, these are part of Nahuatl, of the Otoaztecan family. This is a little different. This isn't a full writing system. It wasn't meant to be read like you would read a book today. But rather, it was meant to help you memorize a text so you could narrate it. It was more like notes. And you can see here that these are pretty easy to decipher, really. Let's see, here we have an eagle. What is the little symbol of an eagle? This one is really cute. This is a skirt or a dress. You can see the feet poking out at the bottom. Here we have a dog. Ready to bark. A rabbit. With its long ears. Here's a hand. Over here you can see a runner or the verb to run a bird a heart and so on This one maybe is also quite nice. Looks a bit odd, but this is for voice and you can see it in some pictures from the time where it comes out of a person's mouth, just four symbols like this, meaning they are speaking or singing. With Otoaztecan, again, you will find very different numbers. I've seen that there are about 30 languages in the family. I've also seen numbers going up to 60. 
it's generally divided into north and south. The northern part can be seen here, found mostly in the US, and the southern part in Mexico. It's not quite clear though whether that is a genetic differentiation or whether it's rather just an aerial uh, distinction. And of course we also have to include Comanche here. I almost missed it. So the northern part includes here languages in California, we have Hopi, which we mentioned recently when we looked at a map of the Grand Canyon. There's Ute, or Ute. Cat would like to join us. Which has given Utah its name. And here's Shoshone, which is very closely related to Comanche. Altogether in the northern region, there's a small number of speakers though. Altogether in the language family, there are just under 2 million speakers, and 85% of those speak Nahuatl, so they're in Mexico. The largest group in the north, in fact, is Hopi, with just 6,000 speakers, so many of these languages are endangered. The issue in Mexico, though, is that even though you have a great number of speakers, many of these people live in remote areas, they are quite marginalized, and when they move into cities, for example, to Mexico City, they drop their native language and rather adopt Spanish so as not to experience discrimination. The problem is that it's really been about 20 years that many of these indigenous languages have been recognized, they are protected and you can have an education in them. Previously it was often forbidden to speak them or they were languages that were generally being discriminated against, it had not a lot of prestige, so people would rather switch to Spanish. Nonetheless, after the conquest, Nahuatl was one of the languages that was very well documented. That's a bit of an oddity, right? You would think that the Spanish came in and tried to teach everyone to speak Spanish, and try to eradicate the native languages. That was not the case though. The idea of the Spanish was that they wanted everyone to be Christian and they figured the best way to get people to become Christian is to teach them in their native language. So they sent a lot of priests to learn Nahuatl. In fact, at first they were supposed to learn all the native languages they quickly realized that that was impossible, so they focused on Nahuatl. And the first grammar, so an extensive work explaining 
the grammar of Nahuatl was published three years prior to the first grammar of French, which is maybe not something you would expect. In fact, Philip II, who we've talked about before, ordered that Nahuatl was supposed to be the official language of New Spain, so of this entire region. But 200 years later, though, in 1770, it was forbidden and everyone was forced to speak Spanish. So the marginalization of these languages really continued and got worse over the centuries. And it's really quite a miracle that there are still so many native speakers today. And it's pretty much overdue that the languages are finally recognized. So we've looked at the Utu uh, Nahuan languages or Utu Aztecan languages. You can see here many different shades of blue all over. We've looked at the Maya languages, Yucatan and in Guatemala. There are the Otomangian languages here in red. Right here. At the Zapotec. We have the Mihisoki languages in a dark purple. There we are. Misumapan languages here. Honduras into Nicaragua. The Chipcha languages. Even further down Costa Rica, Panama, towards Colombia. And a couple smaller ones. And there's one language that unfortunately is not depicted here, but I think it's quite fascinating because like I said, the speakers of all of these different languages have lived in close proximity for so long that their languages don't just share vocabulary, but really the structure of how you build a sentence, how you build a possessive case. But then, I think it's somewhere in this region here. You have one language that is not part of the Sprachbund. And we don't really know whether the speakers of this language came in later, when the Sprachbund had already developed, and they just kind of settled in the middle and did their own thing or whether they had been there before and just remained isolated and protected their own particular way of speaking. But either way, I find that quite interesting that that's possible. And of course, no matter which language you speak, you definitely know some words from this area where it's tomatoes, or maize, or chocolate, or a cigar. Those are all words from 
Mesoamerica. enjoyed this exploration of a different area of the world than we've looked at previously and the kitties just come around one last time to say thank you and sleep well and I think I'll have to go and feed her now see you next week Good night. <laughs>